the most powerful podcast in the universe, the Grack Cellar. <laughs> Put on your big Hollywood sunglasses and light the torch, because it's cellar time. Welcome to the Crack Cellar, as the prophecy was foretold. I'm Two-Spirit Penguin Daniel. And I'm Broadcaster Nichols. And today, Broadcaster, is a special day. Is a day that we see the sunset on the Nick Cage rating system and the sunrise on our brand new rating system. What do you feel right now? Is it is it like a piece of your soul's dying, Broadcaster? How do you feel posthumous? Uh You know, I like throwing things in the pit. <laughs> So, three <laughs> hundred's a great movie. It's always a fan, of, you know. Just seeing a society that just has a pit, they throw everything they don't like into. <laughs> indeed, broadcaster. And season two's rating system goes to the pit. <laughs> it does indeed, and today we start the illustrious season three of this little podcast that could. Broadcaster, how surprised are you that we're still going 58 episodes in? You know, it just feels like an old hat now. <laughs> it does kind of. Just do it. Just do it. One day we'll be in archives of some kind. They yep. won't understand. No context. <laughs> be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, the world just blows up, and like the only thing left is like the heart. My personal hard drive somehow survives the apocalypse, and some aliens find it. Like a thousand fucking RS, RSS feeds, just like going through the wave links throughout the universe. So they're thinking of old podcasts from Earth. The most powerful podcast in the universe, the Crack Cellar. Oh man, there's our fucking slogan going forward. The most powerful podcast in the universe. Mm. I like it. Put that in the books. So uh, season three, uh, I did the first rating system. You did the second, and now it's back to me for the third. And this time, I've decided to Which go. I was to... not. No one discussed this with me. By the way, I want the fans to know that. <laughs> Whatever you think of this rating system, I had no input creatively. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and I gave the same warning for season two. So, yeah. But they, they, that, that, there was no confusion <laughs> or question of the creativity from season two. Oh, <laughs> true. It spoke for itself. Uh, this time around, we're going with the Ghostbusters rating system. This will be rating based off of the villains of Ghostbusters, not some like, lame ass shit where we're like doing Winston and Egon and fucking but nah man we're going we're Dude, going in hot lander a dead man's name <laughs> fictional name hey man Egon is my favorite ghostbuster okay everyone loved Vankman when I was growing up but fucking Egon was my boy always so don't come at me with that bullshit broadcast well, Egon Nichols. was the fucking 
the lynch i mean he was the only one actually making that shit oh, <laughs> he, he, good he, use. yeah I, I just like as a little kid and the thing with the ghostbusters the original ghostbusters movie is that's one of the first movies i ever saw in my life it was that the original tim burton batman and a few others that I literally saw like on VHS when I was like two years old, three years old. And they're just like these formulative, like primal, like movies that base my entire, like probably taste and everything is really based on this shit. So when I say that Egon Spangler was one of my favorites, I don't even just mean it in the movie. I mean it in the fucking cartoon that I watched uh, religiously. One of the only things in my entire life I've ever willingly woke up at 7 a.m. for is the Ghostbusters cartoon circa 1990, 91, 92. Destination TV for me, Broadcaster Nichols. So I respect the Spangler. Don't you ever forget it. I think I may have watched a couple episodes. Can't wait. Can't quite recall what the... Ghostbusters cartoon is about. Well, uh, basically, the concept was that uh, the Ghostbusters cartoon is exactly like the movie, but in the cartoon, the movie is based on them. So, like, they'll actually bring up the movie and be like, "Oh, those fucking stupid Hollywood actors pretending to be us." It was super meta, like especially at that age. Wow. Yeah, that is pretty mad. <laughs> it, it was awesome, and uh, to this day, I love that cartoon. I rewatched it recently with my daughter, and I was—I couldn't believe how well it holds up. It is a very good uh, cartoon to this day, way better than most of the garbage they produce now. And uh, the S rank on our new system is going to be the Boogeyman, the uh, premier villain from the Ghostbusters cartoon. What do you think about that, broadcaster? Uh, well, don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be controversial, I know. Uh, I think most Ghostbuster fans don't didn't watch the TV show, so. Oh, I see. So you're trying to be like some little edgelord here. This is, yeah, this is going to be my controversial pick of the rating system. Number two at the A rank, I think everyone's going to agree on, or higher, the, the Marshmallow Man. Uh, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man is... He was the Ghostbusters. Like, Gozer was kind of like, okay, some weird-ass dude who looks like Prince in a jumpsuit, shoots lightning, okay. Yeah. But the Marshmallow Man was what it was all about back in the day, at least for the kids. For sure. There's three iconic uh, entities from Ghostbusters, and that's Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, the um, Green Slime, Whatever is that? What his name is? Slimer, Slimer, and uh, the image itself, the ghost with the the cancel circle. Mm-hmm. I think those three things are the most iconic Ghostbuster image images in the world. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so then we get to B rink, which is going to be Gozer. You know, Gozer, the original uh, transgender villain. Uh, we're not we're we're giving we're giving he him zer some respect. We're saying, all right, you're not the worst, you're not the best, you're right smack dab in the middle as far as I'm concerned. And I think we're being generous. I think there's some arguments that Gozer is kind of a dud compared to a lot of the other uh, Ghostbusters villains, especially if you include the cartoon, which I do, obviously. 
Like think about Ghostbusters two, the the very beginning, like that uh, trial where the ghosts of like the bandits appear. Do you remember that? It was some like some brothers that were criminals. Uh, are you talking about the cartoon? No, I'm talking about the Ghostbusters two, the movie. It starts off with oh, these... uh, at the you talking about the museum? No, no, it's in a trial. Like, the, yeah, there's like a trial. Uh, I don't know. Well, it's been a while. Yeah. It's basically like two brothers that were executed, like on the electric chair and like they appear as ghosts and they were really fucking cool. There's a lot of like little one off cool ghosts in Ghostbusters that, you know, I, I think, think I kind I think I faintly remember that. Two yeah. electric chair victims. Yeah. Twin electric chair victims. Ghosts. Yeah. And then like uh, the the one that always cracked me up when I was a kid was the like the rich chick with the mink coat where it comes alive and like the mink starts trying to eat her from the coat. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of classics to choose from that, you know, couldn't make the cut. So Gozer, you got some respect a little bit. And going down to C rank, we got Vigo. You're doing my boy Vigo dirty, dude. Here's another controversial one. I think Vigo is more of an idea than an actual villain. That's the problem I have with him, and that's why he ranks lower. He's just like, he's a picture on the wall for 90% of the movie, right? Like, he's not real, really. Do you remember the kid's scary classic uh, movie series, Boogeyman? Hmm? The Boogeyman? It's like a Disney. It was like almost like Disney movie grade scary movies back in the day. No, it was about like an old pilgrim. Uh, I forget the exact story, but he's like this menacing looking giant pilgrim ghost entity called the Boogeyman, and he comes around every Halloween, I think, or something like that, or near Halloween. And the guy that plays Vigo, I think. In Ghost of Busters, I'm pretty sure it's the same actor. <laughs> nice. I, I think it is. I'm, I might be totally pulling this out of my ass, but my childhood is telling me these takes are connected. That guy would be a really good boogeyman, so I agree. That that would be good. But I uh, think I have a bias towards Vigo is what I'm saying. Boy, he has, you got to check out his IMDb, all right? He, he, he's, an, he's an actor, all right? He's a thespian with <laughs> Nicolas <a> Cage. <laughs> yeah. I... I kind of wish they expanded on Vigo more and instead of just leaving him as a painting that talks for the entire movie, I wish he kind of, I don't know, Dude, was I more involved. That. That's what I kind of loved about it. It's like the painting came in. They're just like, this shit's cursed. Like, no, it's not, dude. The <laughs> curse not. happened. <laughs> well, like, what was going on? It's the cursed fucking painting, man. <laughs> yeah, but then, like, the real villain was actually, like, his little dude who was, like, the little beta male that wanted to, like, kidnap well, and rape Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> yeah, that was supposed to be like the Apostle of Vigo. Right, and then he like appears as a witch on a broomstick at the end of the movie and you're just like, uh, okay. That, yeah, <laughs> wild times. You know, they didn't know what they were. That just goes to show you, they, like, it didn't matter. Like, back then, man, you, you just, just knew shit. you had a good story. You could do shit like that. You're like, this motherfucker's going on a broomstick. You're like, are you sure about that? You're like, dude, did you read the rest of the script? This is fire, bro. Like, <laughs> like you've clearly not done enough coke. All right, here's one. <laughs> yeah, I miss the '80s. It was a great time for movie making. 
Uh, please refer to Predator 1 and 2. <laughs> uh, then that brings us to our final, the D rank, which is the Slimer. And uh, this could also be controversial, but I just want to put out there, I like Slimer, especially the animated Slimer from the cartoon. However, he's a joke. He is not a real villain. He's like a little pet thing. And he's cool. But when you compare him to other villains, it's appropriate to put him at D-rank. He's not really a villain. He's like a, a punchline. That's what Slimer is. He's laughable, which is what D-rank stands for. Laughable. I always think it would have been funny if like the Ghostbusters universe was fleshed out more. That Slimer got like a redemption arc where he got like a super power up and he's just like, you fucking Ghostbusters always punked on me, but now it's time to flex on you. <laughs> there actually is, there is a lot of Slimer content in the cartoon that, oh, okay. that borders what you're talking about. <laughs> borders, but not quite a power up. He's still a punk, it sounds like, just by the tone you're talking yeah, well, they kind of turn him into, like, Lassie in the cartoon. Like, he, he becomes, like, really like a dog. Like, he's like the dog, pet dog of the team. It's it's interesting. What is Lassie? What is Lassie? What what breed is Lassie? Golden Retriever. No. Yeah. No, La- no Lassie's like a long hair. Like... I'm not a dog person. I, I always thought Lassie was a Golden Retriever. No. Anyways, that breed, autistic as hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lassie is autistic, so you're saying Slimer is just playing like oh, this autistic oh, kid. Oh, for sure. Follows the Ghostbusters His around. tongue hangs out of his mouth. I mean, come on. <laughs> they, they're choreographing it. Yeah, he is a little re, isn't he? The fat R word would be used <laughs> if it weren't 2021. <laughs> the fat R. <laughs> Wait a second. Checks my notes. 2022, Broadcaster Nichols, which means it's time. Retard's back. <laughs> First, we're bringing retard back. All right, it's a word again. Congratulations, you're welcome. First at the crack cellar, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Number two, it's time for the second annual Crack Cellar Awards, Broadcaster Nichols. And we're going to start off with uh, the surprise of the year. So uh, 2021... Had a few surprises, a few things that uh, maybe were a little better than you expected. So out of all that, what is the thing that we reviewed that was better than you expected to the highest degree? Midnight Mass. Hmm. So you were, you were, you had pre-existing expectations of Midnight Mass. Uh, yeah, just because I don't want watch a lot of shows. Oh, is know? it because it was and a Netflix show? So you immediately just went to this yeah, is garbage. And I also <laughs> and I also don't support communist uh, foundations and, mm. and uh, you know companies like Netflix. So Correct. I have to go through certain means to watch certain shows, which includes sailing seas, <laughs> which I may or may not be on the ship. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Midnight Mass, especially just based on the, like the first ten minutes of that show, I was like, "What the fuck is this? This looks like some drama, One Tree Hill type bullshit <laughs> on an island." And then, and then you saw the Ghost Girl show up. You're like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, dude." Well, the first time Ghost Girl showed up in the prison, I was like, "Yeah," I was like, "Okay, dude." It's still like, "Okay, 
One Tree Hill with some edge on it. Okay. <laughs> well, then when the when Ed, when Ghost Girl kept showing up and he was haunted, I was like, all right, this is kind of dark. <laughs> but it's such a great show. Yeah, that was by far, I think. I mean, next, it's not quite the best thing I saw all year, but it's damn close. Hmm. You know, it's it's really close. Yeah. Um, my surprise of the year is uh, Dennis Villeneuve's Dune. Uh, uh-huh. For me, uh, I love the original Dune movie. I've already talked about that on previous episodes. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, you know, the Sting is my boy and always will be. And I still hope he comes in Dune Part 2 <laughs> for our crack seller, uh, crack pot prediction. That was a good one, too, by the way. If you want a good uh, crack pot prediction, go watch that Dune review. We had a few of them that were pretty good. and yeah, I just thought Dune was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I was expecting to to be a 2021 sort of just melodramatic, woke, uh sort of we're too afraid to do anything really out there, so we're just going to milk toast the fuck out of this. We got fucking uh Jason Momoa here. And it's just like all the writing on the wall to me was this is going to be a dud. And I watch it and I'm just like, wow, this like, is yeah, one that's funny. is <laughs> <Jason laughs> <Momoa was> there. <laughs> yeah. And I I watch it. I'm just like, oh, this is really one of the best movies I've seen in at least a year. Like, it, it was really, really good. And uh, that shocked me, honestly. I thought it was going to be mediocre at best. And uh, another small shout out to Dune. I think it had the best soundtrack of the year as well for anything that I played, watched, it was it had an amazing soundtrack. Well, I think Dennis I never had any doubt that that guy was going to bring something crazy to Dune because just watching Blade Runner, which some people may or may not like, but the tone at least he brought to 24 what was it? 2047? I think it was 2042. Whatever. That's what my Whatever brain wants to say is 2042. Yeah. Whatever it was, there was a few check bo- marks or check boxes that he ticked. Usually, that is associated with national white nationalism and all the bad things that you can't be anymore, which is a white lead. Mm-hmm. Um, that scene where they go into the prostitute alley mm-hmm. and like there's just people banging on the wall. <laughs> the the ch- the white female trying to like seduce her white male robot <laughs> there's a certain <laughs> scenes in there where you're just like eh, you know this isn't something you'd see in woke films or like even a woke director trying to do so oh yeah yeah he's not woke at all and i think that really served dune well there's nothing really woke about it and uh yeah i just thought that was a masterpiece of a movie dune and i i was not expecting that at all but uh broadcaster uh there's also a disappointment of the year award and uh this one I think we were, both have the same one. I have a feeling we feel do it. too, but you know what broadcaster you're going to go first. <laughs> Tell me what is your disappointment of the year? I'll tell you kids, don't go chasing waterfalls. Mm. Cuz Candyman 
Oh, it was the biggest shit pile. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. That's funny. That actually isn't my disappointment of the year. Really? No, because I went into it with low X. I, dude, I saw that train wreck coming eight miles away, bro. I swear to God, like I just had this spidey sense, this tingling in my core that was dreading Candyman. I had Candyman sitting on my computer for a month, and I am like, Candyman's one of my favorite horror movies of all time, and I just kept. I had like this dread about it, like this anxiety, like fuck, I have to watch it, but I just. I know it's not going to be good. And- Tony, Tony said it was going to be good. <laughs> Tony lied to us. <laughs> yeah, that that movie was a piece of shit, though, for sure. Uh, wow. I mean, even if you had really low expectations, it could still be your disappointment of the year. I, I see that actually now that I really reason through it because. This was just one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my Dude, life. The ending of that movie was so bad. Like I the, laugh I'm thinking like, about he's it. He's just like, on the room. He's just like, he's like, I survived. I came, I came into the room and he just falls. <laughs> oh, my God, no. And then the cops just bust the door. Freeze, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> it's like we went from a shitty Candyman movie to fucking black uh, white white cop on black man crime you know it's just like real fast like super fast like some BLM type actions went down within the last two minutes in the movie yeah it it went from it went from movie to woke after school special in 0.05 seconds and then Tony Todd just shows up at the very end. He's For like, no, no guys, I promise it's cool. And it's like, no, it's not, Tony. <laughs> you lied to us. Someone should really like take that clip of him in it, like the 22 seconds he's in the movie, and just paste over it. It just says, I needed a check. And that just be that, that line. Because <laughs> you know that's what it was, man. Our boy Tony paid. Todd needed some money. And Jordan Peele, you know, he tossed him a few. <laughs> He's like, listen, I need a stamp of approval on this steaming pile of shit. <laughs> Do you want some money, Tony Todd? <laughs> but, broadcaster, my disappointment of the year is Matrix 4. And you know what? You could make the same argument I just made with Candyman. Say you went in with low expectations, so you saw it coming. I should have saw it coming. You know, there were red flags out the ass in every direction, granted. But my heart just wanted to believe that movie was going to be good. All the way to the day I watched it, I was just so full of hope. I was just so full of hope. Like, no, you know what? This is going to be one of those gotcha moments like where they want you to think it's going to be bad and you go in and it blows you away and like it's man it wasn't that it was just uh it wasn't as bad as Candyman. uh don't get me wrong it, like i would take matrix 4 over Candyman any day of the week as a movie but it was still like coming off of the matrix just being one of the most groundbreaking instrumental movies of my adolescence to being this weird exposition about oh they made me make another sequel i don't want to but if i don't do it they're gonna let someone else do it so i'm just gonna make this snarky sequel and have all this meta in it and it's just like man 
what it could have been if Lana Wachowski actually wanted to make a real follow-up to that movie instead of just a sort of revenge sequel, which is what it feels like to me. I feel like that whole movie was just made to say F you to Warner Brothers. Really? Because I think it was, it felt like an F you to a lot of things. Well, the fans for sure, too. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like an F you to the actors. It felt like an F you mm-hmm. to one of the Wachowskis. It felt like an F you to Hollywood. It felt mm-hmm. like an F you to your childhood. And if, yeah, and if you to me, my uh, child. <laughs> yeah, it for sure. It, all of the above. One of my one of my favorite memories of my childhood is watching the Matrix one with my dad in the drive-ins, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. You know, like that was one of the coolest movies I ever got seen. The drive-ins. Hell and yeah. I was like, it was mind boggling, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like how cool that movie was, and how shitty the next two became. <laughs> Four, three now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I really don't like Matrix 2, and people always tell me, oh, you should watch it again, and I always tell them, I have watched it again. <laughs> I've watched it <laughs> yeah, a lot of times. It. it never gets better. I it's have just... reviewed the footage. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when Matrix 4 like t- has like those meta scenes in the game developer room with them being like, I have one word for you, bullet time, or whatever. <laughs> That's what Matrix 2 was. They they literally had that meeting when they were making Matrix 2. They're like, we have, we're doing bullet time and that's what this movie is. It's just kung fu and bullet time and non-stop pointless action scenes that lead nowhere. (laughs) I read an article like yesterday too that was saying that uh, Agent Smith's character in that movie was actually written for Hugo Weaving. Oh, sure <laughs> but, it was. But Hugo Weaving, I guess, for some reason, and couldn't <laughs> do it. And I was like, yeah, because he's be a fucking that. thespian. You want me to get that steaming pile of shit? There's no oh, way. Yeah. If, if Hugo Weaving was a part of that movie, I think I really would have just lost faith in movies altogether. Like, big budget <laughs> movies, like, just, I would have been like, okay, well, it's over. Because if Hugo Weaving signing on for this trash, <laughs> then I don't know anymore. Mm. You know, a lot of people say Cloud Atlas was trash. But at least, I don't know. I thought most of it was trash, but there's a, I really like the part of cloud Atlas. I liked was the part with the freed slave and the version of Tom Hanks. that was like poisoning that. Dude yeah, on the boat. Yeah, dude, that like that, part too. that was the movie teeth. for me. Yeah. That was the only part of the movie I liked. I loved that part. And I thought most of the movie was God. Awful yeah. You're spot part. on. That was definitely my favorite part. That and what's his name? That British actor that ends up being like one of the savages with Hugo on the island and they have like a war. Yeah. 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 That, that, that was one, my second favorite. Yeah. Yeah. There are a few good spots, but overall I thought that was sort anyway, of like the, those, that was a better time with better Wachowskis. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Broadcaster. Well, we also have another award. It's called the bullet dodge of the year. And, This is the worst thing you have seen or played in 2021 that we did not cover on the podcast. And I will ask you, what is your bullet dodge of the year? This one hurts me a little bit. Uh Uh-oh. Hurts me deep down because it's been with me for a long time. And, you know, um, 
It's also the only Steam game Uh-oh. I've ever refunded. Oh, wow. And, uh, it also made me learn that uh you can you can get you can get a steam game refunded really easy (laughs) and it kind of made me feel for like small indie game developers where they probably just can get fucked oh they do all the time so don't abuse that please (laughs) that's (laughs) fucked up (laughs) but nonetheless i did it because i hated this game so much and it broke my heart and it's guilty gear strive i feel i truly feel like Guilty Gear, there's a few games, and it's not just reserved for 2D fighters or fighting genre in general. It's for FPSs. It can be for action adventures. It can even be for MMOs, and it's called Twitch gaming, you know, where there is a certain level of the game gaming uh, where you like end, you can call it end game or the highest level of play, but it involves the player having to be really good at Twitch inputs, you know, and guilty gear was the first game for me that was that it got me into like a flow Zen state. You know, it it showed me that like you can get really good at something like you can hone something really, really well, uh, like a skill in guilty gear or in any game, whatever one you fall in love, it was just guilty gear for me, but it was the Twitch aspect. Mm hmm. You know, and it was like that for years. And I I could always translate my skill from each Guilty Gear to Guilty Gear. That's just how it worked. And then Guilty Gear Strive came along. (laughs) And I feel like maybe it was a mixture of them losing the license for a while. Maybe it was them getting contaminated by Blaze Blue. But in my honest opinion, it feels like they're trying to replicate something more akin to Street Fighter. And... That pisses me off on a very fundamental core. Like, I I can't, I just, it seems like the absolute opposite direction of what Guilty Gear is. To slow down the combat, slow down jumps, make make blocking super, super, like, technical and precise. Like, it's not just, like, holding back and barely getting down when a low block comes in. Like, you have to be on it to get the block on. And it just, it wasn't Guilty Gear for me. It just, it it had the name and the skins. It was like Leatherface, dude, just, like, (laughs) running around with a mask. (laughs) Yeah. It really pissed me off because I I blindly seeing Guilty Gear. I was like, oh shit, Guilty Gear's coming out. Didn't really look at any of the footage. I'm just like, this slipped under my radar. I didn't knew a new Guilty Gear was coming out. And I bought the $90 Ultimate Edition. You know, they <laughs> get all the stuff. That's funny. And they, it pissed me off even more <laughs> in the end. I was like, okay, no bacon, no justice, no Johnny, no jam. No, fi- like go on and on and on, and like. And there like, still like, isn't, by the way. Every single DLC character they've added since it came out has been either a brand new character or a character from like XRD Rev Two or something. You know what I mean? Like none of like the old school characters that have been left out have been added since. Yeah, and I mean that's a very strong point on why you would not like the game. Most fans would not like the game. But that's just, I mean, that's the tip of the iceberg. 
the core gameplay to me is just fundamentally wrong in Guilty Gear Strive. It need, I mean, Guilty Gear mode disappeared quite some time ago, and the I feel true like that form would, of Guilty Gear. I feel like that was this. That was the first sign, you know, of the end, because when that disappeared, it was like okay. But then they turned up the regular mode up just a little bit to replace it, you know. They and then there was like there's one mode now, and then they lost the license. They started making Blaze Blue, and this is this is my last note on the game in itself. And we talked about this off the mic a while, like a week or two ago, I think. Uh, is that the new characters that have been showing up ever since? I'd say as far back as post X2, you know, anything past X2 reloaded. These characters are not like, it's like, they're not Daisuke, you know, they're not, it's like the, like they're like, they're saying Daisuke is there, but he's not. Or like Mm. Daisuke had like a shadow writer or somebody else that his real muse, his real inspiration in the background that he's not, he's not telling people about that's not there anymore because Every ever since Reloaded, all the characters don't feel like they're part of the universe. All the other original characters were a part of, like yeah. at all. Even I mean, though all the characters are so separated and weird and different, it just feels like, like the. I mean, go back to like X three or whatever it was after Reloaded. The chick that came out that was like the chick on the hospital bed and it was alive. Mm-hmm. It just it just didn't fit to me. It just seemed weird. Ever since going going forward since then. Yeah, uh, I I agree with you on a lot of it. I th- one thing you didn't bring up is the soundtrack, which I that's like the biggest oh, red flag yeah. to me. Oh, I'm just shit. like, bro, why are you playing Avenged Sevenfold in my Guilty Gear? Yeah. This is not right. Yeah. Like, what is happening right now? Really sad shit. And there are a few characters, by the way, including one that's a DLC character, where it's even worse than Avenged Sevenfold. It's like some sort of pop music, and I. Boy, oh boy, man, like there's some of these DLC characters are just it sucks, too, because they purposely make them OP. So as soon as they come out, everyone starts playing them and you have to listen to their theme music constantly. And this one character just had like this annoying. It reminded me of the Final Fantasy X-2 pop song. Remember that at the beginning of X-2 with... Yeah, of course. With the girls, the Britney Spears oh, yeah. patrol. I can never uh, forget. <laughs> I, I swear it's, it's just like my that. mind. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like that, man. It's so yeah. I the combat itself is definitely trying to be more like Street Fighter. I don't like the direction. I agree with you. I've gotten used to it and I've just kind of accepted it, but I agree with you. It's annoying the direction for them to take and I hope there's man. a huge uh, retraction. I hope that they see because I think a lot of people are in the same boat as me with Guilty Gear Strive. And I hope they see that. And I really hope they change course. And I hope next the next Guilty Gear is a true, fast-paced Twitch fighter. Because mm-hmm. that's what they were. And that's what made them famous. Yep. The and speed. People- Guilty Gear is speed. Just like Sonic the Hedgehog is speed. If you can't double dash and f- jump and fly across the screen spamming punch and see that shield just go bang, 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 while it all goes slow-mo across all the way down to the ground, then what is Guilty Gear? You know? like <laughs> Yeah. Agreed. Uh, that being said, broadcaster, my bullet dodge of the year is season six of Fear of the Walking Dead. 
Uh. This was one of the worst seasons of any Walking Dead show, including Fear and the regular Walking Dead. I don't watch that beyond the world of Walking Dead teen bot bullshit that's also running, so I don't know how bad that is. I've heard it's cataclysmically bad, but I haven't watched it myself. But I will say that this was this was bad. It They ruined every character in the show. Uh, Victor Strand, who has been in the show since season one, they turned into like a comical villain that absolutely makes no sense in his character arc at all. It's like they just threw away five seasons of of storyline and just changed him willy-nilly just into like this totally different character. And they did that with every other character. Uh, it, it's It's just not good, man. It was really, really, really bad. And the reason it sticks out is because season five of Fear of the Walking Dead was really good and it stood out as one of the better seasons of Walking Dead in at least the last four or five years across both shows. So for it to just take such a nosedive and just one, I don't want to dwell on this too much because I know you don't even watch any Walking Dead stuff anymore, but at the end of season five of Fear of the Walking Dead, they nuked Texas. So like a, a crazy cult leader basically nukes all of Texas with the submarine that he got with, you know, whatever kind of an absurd concept, just Texas, because the submarine was in Texas. It was a nuclear submarine that had a bunch of these missiles. He fired them all off at different parts of Texas. And so like, I I think like maybe a third of Texas got nuked, maybe not the whole state, but a third. Isn't fear the walk. Like what time, what, what's this like in the timeline of the universe? I think it's supposed to, I think it's supposed to take place in like 2018 in the, in the walking dead universe. But I I don't really know. Either way, the thing I want to say about it is, okay, kind of campy, but a cool concept, a post-nuclear apocalyptic zombie apocalypse. I like, the, I like the idea and concept. The execution of this was one of the worst executions of all fucking time. It makes absolutely no sense. There will be times where they're like so worried about radiation. They're like, oh, we can't take off our suit. The radiation will kill us instantly. Then like us two scenes later, they'll just take off their suit randomly so that they can have FaceTime and talk on camera. And they'll like make some absurd statement oh, like no. the radiation's lower here so we can take our suits off. And it's like, bitch, it's the same spot as every other spot. Yeah. It's so it's dumb. So, <laughs> it's so inhuman too. It's just like, is any human be like, oh, hell no. Like anybody <laughs> watching it be like, fuck no. <laughs> oh, it's so absurd. The, the way that they just like decide to stop respecting the nuclear fallout that supposedly exists in the world <laughs> at random times is one of the most absurd things I've witnessed in television history. So if you're taking any part off until I go into a decontamination <laughs> zone and I'm fucking rinsed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and also like they'll, there'll be like outside on like these really obviously bad sets. Like it'll look like something from the original Star Trek from the sixties. That's how bad the set will look. And they'll just throw this really cheesy orange filter over it to make it look nuclear. It's, Bad. Bad. (laughs) That being said, broadcaster Nichols, for every bullet dodge, there's a critical whiff, something that could have been, but we just didn't didn't grasp it in our fingers until it was too late. 
the critical whiff of the year. What is the best thing you've seen or played in 2021 that we did not cover? Uh, I, I think it'd be Cobra Kai. Hmm. Really? So are you talking about the new season or the previous season? Because they both kind of came out in 2021, I think. Well, I'm watching the newest season. So you're talking about the new season when you say that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> the the Terry Silver season. Yes. yes. Ah. <laughs> Dude, our boy. I don't want to give back. too much up because it's still I haven't finished it and like it's it's solid. <laughs> <laughs> it really is, man. Terry Silver's back. He's still a psychopath. <laughs> I think. I think Kreese is even scared of him. <laughs> <laughs> How far into it are you? What episode are you on? Uh, I just got past uh, where they are. Uh, the the uh, Valley Green Valley. What's it called? All Valley Championships. The uh, Cry Championships. <laughs> so. Oh, so you're on, you were on the last episode then. Yeah, I haven't seen okay. the last episode. Yet. Oh, man. <laughs> that's. Yeah, something big happens in that episode. Uh, I agree with you though, that, uh, that is, that's a good choice. I didn't pick that as mine, but that's a great choice because Cobra Kai is one of these shows that on, on the one hand you look at it and you're like, that's a kid's show. It's nostalgia bait. You have all these reasons not to like it. And then you watch it and you're like, holy shit, this is good. (laughs) <laughs> it's well crafted in that aspect though cuz i think one of the weaknesses is is like stormy puts it like it's like kid degrassi mixed with like fan service for karate kid fans and i was just like and i'm like it's so true but it's almost so well done because he's delicately balancing both those trying to get like new people in and old people in and it's done probably the one of the best i've seen <laughs> the best Hell examples yeah. i've seen of it being done well yeah. And for me, what what makes me love it so much is Johnny Lawrence and William Zabka's portrayal of Johnny Lawrence from beginning to end. That guy is a legend. Uh, and <laughs> every time there's a scene with him, I laugh almost every like I I can't believe how much I like that character, because when I watch the original Karate Kid, I didn't like Johnny Lawrence. I was a kid and I liked fucking the main character right like you're a kid you're a kid you're a rude for the good guys yeah you know? so it's like you're and, but then when you grow up in this cobra kai and you're like oh yeah cobra kai it's it's gonna be fucking ralph macchio and william zapka as old old dudes that are grumpy i'm like i'm i'm okay with this let's watch this and you're thinking you're gonna like dude the main character's named after me daniel larusso like it's 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 like it's destined that I should like him more, but no, <laughs> fuck Daniel Larusso. I'm on. I'm on I know he's such a loser. It's so funny as you get older, you're just like, dude, Larusso, you're a fucking dweeb, girl. <laughs> that dude at the very end, he's just like, he taught you. I see you did the circle. You circled the end. Of the <laughs> it's like, you didn't teach us fishing for no reason. It's just like losers, dude. <laughs> <sighs> Dude, that... you are right though because like the, <laughs> the scene when uh miguel goes to willie uh johnny's uh apartment <laughs> and he's like just passed out drunk <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he like puts him up on the bed he's just like i'm sorry man i love you man <laughs> and he's like miguel's just like 
<laughs> just he's trying all the way. He's like, I love you too, man. <laughs> I was fucking dying. Just an all-time classic character. Like, I hope William Zapka gets like a resurgence in his career for Cobra Kai because he deserves it. I, I don't know what he's been doing from Karate Kid to Cobra Kai. I don't think he's been in much. I hope he gets a couple of roles from this because well, I have not enjoyed and liked a character in a TV show as much as him in a very long time. My my main prediction is and what's the kids the the kid that got the new kid that got bullied the black kid I forget his name yeah he got bullied by um uh Daniel's kid. Mm, the the one that yeah <laughs> i don't yeah, know his name either anyways when he beats him up in the locker room and he smiles i'm like oh that's a terry silver smile yep. right there. <laughs> like, i'm just hoping next season like it's just the first episode's just terry dying his hair black tying in the <laughs> ponytail just it's just like looking in the mirror just like a psycho and fucking his pupil behind him just like yeah. i'm ready to beat some ass and say <laughs> yeah and for extra credit they should really go get glenn howerton from always sunny to come on board as his like his uh his sub sensei it's like assistant <laughs> He should be Glenn Howerton should come on board just to get beat up like that that pedo adult kid that was hanging out with all the younger kids that Terry Silver beat up. Oh like yeah, in a great, ritual, great <laughs> <You know>? scene. <laughs> that was a great scene. That was, that was one of my favorites of the season. <laughs> that was a transformation right there. <laughs> all right, broadcaster. Well, my critical width of the year is. Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker. And that is because I think Endwalker silently, not silently, it's like blown up in popularity, but still below the boards a little bit, I think, low-key, has one of the greatest JRPG storylines in the history of all JRPGs, period. Not just like MMOs or whatever. And I think a lot of people are never going to know that. And it just kind of pains me a little bit to know like that there's probably like 80% of just the final fantasy fan base. Not let's not even just go into the overall fan base of JRPGs, but just in the final fantasy fan base alone, 80% probably that will never ever touch it just simply because it's an MMORPG. Yeah. I think it's a curse with MMOs, you know? If you <laughs> make a super successful MMO, you're just going to have that. Because MMOs are for nerds. That's not, that's not cool. Thank you, Sensei Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, though. It, like, even JRPG fans will look down on MMO fans <laughs> as, like, a subclass of nerds. Uh, yeah, I, I do like I'm not that. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's, it's like the communication world, and then you start talking about ham radio people, and they're like, yeah, well, <laughs> no, we're not them. <laughs> There's something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh... It's it's crazy, like the the expansiveness. The part of it is just like having like 
this five may actually it's more like eight year history of content behind it. And then you get this crescendo at the very end where you're like, yeah, FF 14's always had a great storyline. It's always been good. Uh, I really liked heaven's ward as well, but there's never been anything like this where it's like you're four expansions deep. And then all of a sudden you drop like this nuclear bomb that like is so pointed because only a certain amount of people will ever experience it because not only is it in an MMO, but it's like the fourth expansion of an MMO. And when you get that deep in, new players are hard to come by. So it's like, it's really rewarding on one hand for the people that have stuck with it and are just like, holy shit, this is something that I would have never expected that we got. It's like, you wouldn't even think it's possible to exist a story like this in an MMORPG. But on the other hand, you're just like, man, what a waste. All these people that made this just like work of art and like their potential viewership, readership, playership is so low. Just a sad thing. And uh, not much you can do about it. But uh, there is something we can do. About the turd of the year, Broadcaster Nichols. Uh, the turd of the year. This is the worst of the 2021 D-ranks. You know, we've had a few D-ranks this year. A few fat Ds, as I like to call them. Yep. Which one was the worst, Broadcaster? I want to hear it straight from your mouth. We weren't talking about it. We weren't. It wasn't too long ago we were talking about it. The major score. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> For me... That movie was a steaming pile of trash, and it was easily... <laughs> I mean, I thought Candyman was bad, right? But so you, you really it, think like, Matrix, Matrix 4 is worse than Candyman? Absolutely. Oh, Are you man. kidding me? Dude, Matrix 4 was mockingly bad. Like, mockingly bad. Like, he was mocking you. They were... They were Damn! You know, that, bitch, that bitch was, like, seriously going for the throat of some people. Like, the way... She was abusing the old scenes from the first movie. <laughs> Coincidentally, not using scenes from the second or third movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, the way she just made certain B characters, like all of a sudden top dog the shit, and just didn't really talk about how some of the more important characters weren't there anymore. Um, let's see. W- w- I mean, what else? Um, what's his name playing Morpheus? Um, Candyman playing Morpheus, <laughs> replacing Hugo Weaving with fucking some some fucking. I think he's the CEO some, of Girls Gone Wild. Uh, yeah, he looks like some loser extra from a Workaholics episode. You know, like, that's a good call. I just, like that, <laughs> it's just so bad. And I could go on and on, but mm. the 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 nice robots. Like the the butterfly robot or whatever the fuck it was, um, <laughs> I don't know. It's just yeah. it just uh, oh yeah, Neo or Thomas Anderson being a video game developer. I like that man inside. That's- <laughs> the matching making another matrix inside the matrix big brain move oh no way the matrix can detect that How, what shitty script writing you know like what do you mean the matrix like this all-knowing fucking computer software that's enslaved humanity for eons now somehow doesn't know one mpc in the matrix isn't making a brand new program that could destroy it what the fuck <laughs> it wasn't a tight plot but you know 
I, Trinity you know, could and, fly, so it's okay. <laughs> it's uh, just like the last Jedi where Leia could fly. Remember? <laughs> it's the yeah. same thing. And it, yeah, we could talk about the the woke traits in the movie, like you know, cripple the white man, get black men and black women in here, make them strong, like Niobe. Like, oh god, Ni- yeah, Niobe like, was the uh, worst part of that movie. No one gives a fuck about Niobe. <laughs> so like, bad. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right, broadcaster. Well, I didn't even give Matrix a D, so I, that's not even my contention realm. But uh, I get it. You know, I get it. Uh, mine is uh, Candyman. <laughs> Reverse. Uh, it's hard for me to describe how much I hate Candyman. It yeah, you're, brings- you're older than me. It brings emotions to my head that like sort of break decades of anti-rage conditioning that has fallen upon <laughs> me due to marijuana. It's uh it's an odd one, man. It like brings me back to being like a 13-year-old that was punching people in the bathrooms of middle schools. Uh I just I feel it like my my fist starts twitching, my eye starts twitching. Like I I couldn't believe how much I hated that movie like in a visceral way to the point like when you see like little kids spurging on video games and like throwing their controllers into TVs. I've never done that shit before. I've never been that on that level. Uh but the closest I've ever come to being on that level was when I watched Candyman. That movie is an insult to horror. It is an insult to Tony Todd, to the legacy of Candyman, to Clive Barker. It's an insult to everything I hold dear as a horror fan and a fan of movies, a fan of good writing. Uh, It is an after-school special in the least veiled way possible. That ending, which we talked about earlier, uh, one of the worst endings in cinematic history. It's just... It's like watching the Titanic sink and then rise it's about to fall under the ocean. They drop a nuclear bomb on it for good measure. It's just holy shit levels of bad. So not only is Candyman my turd of the year, I think it could potentially be my turd of this entire podcast history. We'll see when it's all said and done, when we end this podcast. Uh, We'll see. But my prediction is that this might be my least favorite movie that we ever review ever. (laughs) And with that, Broadcaster, I'd like to ask you, what is your rock of the year? And this is is that blue stuff, as Walter White would say. This is that high-caliber rock. Well, I think it's only fitting. Now, originally, I had a contingency here. (laughs) I was going to bring up Dune. (laughs) <laughs> you use Dune as your surprise here, which I think allows me to not use that because <laughs> we talked about it. It's been honored. Mm-hmm. Salute. But the real rock, the real crim is none other than a Nick Cage classic. And it's Willie's Wonderland. Oh, shit. This movie. Did you give was... Willie's Wonderland an S rank? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it did. Oh, wow, I, I don't even remember that. If I didn't, then I, I'm smoking crack. 
<laughs> Maybe you did. It's been a long time, but I know we rated Almost, it high. I know we rated both rated it high. I gave it an S rank. Okay. <laughs> Damn. But this movie is one of the it it it's just it's one of those gentle reminders who Nick Cage really is. Because this man, when people are like, Nick Cage does a bunch of movies, you can see him in like a C movie all the way to a triple A AAA movie, you know, whatever they fucking call that. <laughs> it's true. And he he's one of the very few actors where you're like, you get what you pay for. If you pay, he'll, he'll work with you for $1,000, but you barely get him. You give him 10000 you get a little bit more. You give him 100000 now we're talking, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. In Willy Wonderland, I think they just hit the right mark the right ratio with Nick Cage because he didn't talk much. He didn't talk at all. That was one of my favorite parts about it. It was he like only a made silent grunts. He, he only made grunts and he drank suspicious amounts of soda slash fictional alcohol. I'm not quite no, sure. That was, no, it. no, it was a fictional energy drink, but yeah, it might have been like a four loco situation. We're not exactly. sure. He, he, may have, he may have been crushing locos. <laughs> This movie, it's like Freddy's, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's meets, um, God, I don't know, like, trap, like, one of those classic films, you know, where you're trapped in the, the, the theme park, you know, the killer clowns or whatever's coming after you, the, the, the maintenance guy that runs the, the carnival is like some serial killer or whatever, you know, some type thing meets five nights at Freddy's, you know, but Nick Cage is some type of anti-hero where he's, he comes in, he's mysterious guys that's going to clean up to earn some money. Silent. Some teenagers come in to fuck around. They're all getting murdered. And he's just like silly teenagers. <laughs> I'm just trying to do my job. Yeah. Honest man. Playing some pinball, crushing locos and, Clean the place up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really like that movie too. It's just a, it's crazy. It's hard to describe the movie because it's just wild. It is wild. It, it kind of reminds me of a video. It's like the closest thing to playing a video game while watching a movie. I think mm-hmm. you just see these elements of a video game, like the energy drink, you know, where it's like that looks like it's something you'd use constantly in a video game to heal. Mm-hmm. You know, like you'd just be drinking those and finding those everywhere. And like the way they implemented it, implemented it in the movie and the way he like goes back to the pinball machine, it's almost like a save. Yeah. You know, like he's, he's, <laughs> it was weird. Yeah. There's certain things about that movie I really related to. <laughs> it's it's almost like if R.L. Stein made a Duke Nukem yes. game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I could just see Nick Cage playing Duke Nukem after watching Willy's Wonderland. It's almost like his audition to play Duke Nukem in a movie. All the way down to like his little fucking victory dance on the pinball machine. It was just all perfect. Yeah. But uh broadcaster my rock of the year is actually one we talked about earlier as well, one that you brought up and that would be Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass, to me, is the best thing that I have consumed in 2021 in terms of storytelling, in terms of direction, in terms of just overall impact. There's a lot you could say about that show. 
it's poignant, it's quick, it's it cuts quickly. It's not overdrawn, it's very sharp. It has both very crazy moments and also some very solemn moments. It has slow pacing, then it has really fast pacing. It does so much in seven episodes that I will remember those seven episodes much more than I will remember five seasons of other shows. It just had this like this one punch man style impact where you're just like, holy shit, what just happened? It went so fast. It was so crazy. And the variety in which it does it to you is what really appealed to me. Like you, It made me laugh when you called it One Tree Hill. <laughs> the One Tree Hill comparison early on. Because I remember thinking something similar in the first episode or two. I'm like, interesting, but I'm not sure where this is going. But then you get to the point where you realize the father isn't what he seems and like everything just sort of becomes like this mystery novel and it even then like the the episodes following it's like it, it's good but it's like it's all normal still this show is it starts very very normal to the point where you'd call it one tree hill and it it gets good but still normal and then it just goes instantly into from dusk till dawn. All of a sudden, George Clooney is fighting off vampire prostitutes in a bar that's been boarded up. And like every blood is flying everywhere. Carnage is flying everywhere. Shit just goes off the rails in such a crazy way. I, it's hard to measure the impact of stuff like that. We're talking about stuff like the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones. For sure. This movie, this, this, the seven episodes in this television show is definitely akin to some of the best Game of Thrones episodes. There's no doubt about it. Like the feeling you get from watching at least, I mean, when does it really take off? Episode four, I think, is when you start to really get an idea of what's going down. Mm-hmm. It, dude, it's just fucking a roller coaster from there on. It's crazy. It's it's one of the craziest roller coasters you can ever step foot on. Like I've seen so much TV. I've seen so many movies. For something to stand out the way this did is just it's fighting against a lot of competitors and when I really try and rack my brain on television shows that have done what midnight mass has done it's a small it's a small crew man like i already brought up game of thrones uh there aren't too many others it's it's really rare company yeah i it's hard i i don't want to like disparage the whole cast because i think everyone did pretty much a great job but to be honest bro the 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 preacher, Monsignor Pruitt, I forget his name. I think it's like, he has a weird name. It's like Hamish or something, I think. The actual actor's name. Don't want, I'm not saying, don't, don't want to disparage the guy, but he has a, he has an odd name. Um, But dude, that guy, he was what held, he was the series for me. Oh, he, he was, was really also good. in Legion, but I mean, he was great in Legion, but dude, 
in this series, just his cadence and everything was just his mannerisms, his <laughs> the way he was like fighting off his vampiric nature. It's just, just like <laughs> it was so it good. Just, He's just like sweating, and he's just like, I just want to just come in. We'll just hug. Just give me a kiss. Come on. Give me a kiss. Just like, don't be scared. <laughs> and everyone's just like looking at him, sweating. Like, you sure you're all right? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. Wow. You smell, you smell really good. God, that was a great scene. <laughs> and then the guy, the fucking guy that crippled the girl, he just pushes him back. And when he pushes him back and he falls over the stool and he's just like, oh no. <laughs> that was one of the greatest acting scenes I've seen in a long time. It was just so well done. He's just like, oops. <laughs> oops. <laughs> yeah. And like, there's, there's so many scenes like that. Like, just think about on the other end of the spectrum the scene where the main character takes his girlfriend out on the boat when he discovers everything, when he figures out the truth and he takes her out on the boat to commit suicide in front of her like that. Like that, that scene is so impactful and so crazy. And it's only like the fifth best scene in the movie or the TV series. That would be the best scene in most TV series. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's an embarrassment of riches for Midnight Mass. And, all the character um, have all the characters, like almost every single one, have great evolutions too. Like in seven episodes, almost every single character that has any good amount of screen time has quite the story arc for yeah. seven episodes. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wasted in in a seven episode show. There's just nothing wasted. Good television, indeed. All right, broadcaster. Daddy says this water comes from a glacier. <laughs> 2021 was a pretty decent year, I guess, for for cinema and for not really as much for video. But, you know, we'll take what we can get. 2022, on the other hand, broadcaster, I have high hopes for. What about you? Did You, you said 2024? <laughs> Is that what you just said? <laughs> we'll go with I that. can agree. I can agree. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Give it two years. No doubt. No doubt. Things will cool down. We'll get some good shit. Right now, I think we're going to be in a desert for the next two years. Oh, all right. Well, on that. It takes, it takes a long time for good things to cook, man. Good ideas to ferment, mm. bake. And I think right now, we're not even out of the period where good things are allowed to be written or produced. Mm. We're just starting to get out of that phase. So hopefully, hopefully soon, we'll have better things on the horizon. Well, on that promising note, Broadcaster Nichols, are you ready to get to our review of Ghostbusters Afterlife? Absolutely not. (laughs) Make it so. What's that? You want more crack, Cellar? (laughs) <laughs> this is good. Join your lords on Twitter at the Crack Cellar and Facebook.com slash the Crack Cellar. Hey, you over there. Are you a straight up Chad or a strong woman? Well, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcasting app. Or if you're a straight up beta cuck, 
Find us on YouTube with the rest of the Cloud Chasers. And we're back with our review of Ghostbusters Afterlife. And the creator of this movie extravaganza describes it as the following. When a single mom and her two kids arrive in a small town, they begin to discover their connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. Broadcaster Nichols. Once upon a time, we were supposed to get an actual Ghostbusters 3. <laughs> and uh, from there, we went into Purgatory then to the seventh layer of hell where the female Ghostbusters reboot emerged from. Now we're climbing, climbing out of the pits like anima from FF 10. But are we? What do you think about Ghostbusters afterlife? Did you like it? Uh, you know, 50, 50 for me. Oh, really? maybe not. Maybe not. It was fifty-fifty. Not quite sure. Mm. There's scenes where I absolutely love it, and there's scenes where I absolutely fucking hate it. Mainly everything with the kids, I hate. <laughs> Besides the car chase scene. That was pretty good. I think the thing that pissed me off the most about the movie going in for most of it was uh, Phoebe. Is that her name? The the, the female movie. kid? Yeah. yeah. You didn't like name? Phoebe? She's like super condescending. It was like annoying. Wow. <laughs> she was one know. of my favorite it, parts of the movie. That's crazy. <laughs> it was just like at some point it was like kind of cool at the beginning. And I was like, all right, she's kind of she's pretty cool. And then it was just like every scene where it was especially the one with um her and Paul Rudd, the substitute teacher, in the when they're explaining like waveforms or whatever on the chalkboard and and uh she like makes some geometry joke and winks, and he's just like, "Did you make a geometry joke?" And she's just like, "Yes, that's why I winked." <laughs> it's just like, okay, like she's this isn't how kids be, talk. <laughs> she's supposed to be a fem a younger female Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory. That's what she is. That's her character. Did you ever yeah, watch well, Big Bang Theory? No, I didn't like. Okay, it. well, she is literally Sheldon, and. It worked for me. I liked. I really liked her character. I actually thought it was hilarious how she made fucking Stranger Things boy a like afterthought in the movie. She like stole yeah. the show from him. A that was bit. probably the one good thing she did for me in the movie. She she just took away the limelight from that loser. Yeah, that kid. I'll give him credit. He plays a desperate, like thirsty beta cuck really well in certain that scenes. Was Honestly, I think what you're referencing right now is my favorite scene in the whole movie. Are you talking about the jail scene? No, that one's pretty good. That one's pretty funny. Dude, the no, way he jumps scene. up in the jail cell when he realizes she's there and like shakes his head sideways and does that creepy smile. Dude, that was some of like the best beta cuck acting I've ever seen in my life. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. My <laughs> my favorite part was when fucking in the beginning when he 
tries to pick up on that chick at the diner. And he's like, oh. I, uh, he's like, I, uh, filled out this application. <laughs> it was like being a fucking loser. And those two, the cook in the background, he's like, ah, Samantha, I don't know. I think the meat's bad. <laughs> and then the other one's just like, <laughs> and then right after, they just look over and he's just like, that was really pathetic, man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Trevor, that really was pathetic, man. <laughs> you know that was that what that was from, right? No. Waiting. Ryan Reynolds breakout hit waiting with Justin Long. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, dude, you remember Dane Cook? Dane Cook was the cook that yeah. was that character. Like that's totally based off of Dane Cook's character in Waiting. <laughs> it was great though. I love that too. Yeah, that was that was any pretty much any scene making fun of that kid was uh, my favorite scene. Pretty much the whole movie kind of makes fun of him. If it yeah. well, literally check uh, check mark, you know, uh, make fun of the white man, white kid. Yeah, tuck him. He does absolutely nothing in this movie except for beta thirst after the strong bipoc woman and fix ecto one. Which, if you remove the entire him fixing Ecto one part of this movie, he is a an extra, basically. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this whole movie is pretty much filled with extra, and that's kind of my main point. That is that this movie still suffers slightly from what twenty sixteen suffered from. Is that really at the so. end of the day, it's just not a good story. <laughs> They're, they're I relying thought the story on was good, nostalgia really. too much in this movie. Like well, Dan yeah, Aykroyd being called <laughs> out of nowhere, you know? And I really did enjoy the fact that Dan Aykroyd was brushing off crystals. And when he yes. the phone, I'm like, that's real right there. That, <laughs> I mean, this must, that's actually probably his shop. This is a documentary, <laughs> not a yeah. film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but it just seemed like so out of nowhere. And then they all show up at the end and I don't know. And then the extra credit scenes where what's his name is just like, I'm a businessman, but I've always <laughs> believed in the Ghostbusters. <laughs> I actually like, liked that part because it kind of reminded, it was almost like a, a backstory to umbrella corporation. Like you just feel like, <laughs> yeah, if they were playing the umbrella music the whole time that monologue was going on, that would have been dope. Just the kids pulling up in the car, and he's just like, "It's yours now." Yeah, <laughs> I really felt like they were that, that all that post credit stuff with Winston. I really thought was building a sequel where he's going to be like the CEO of Umbrella and unleash like hell on earth on accident and become the villain himself. I th really thought that's what it was setting up, but yeah, I don't know. I saw like the mom and Paul Rudd's character, like becoming Gozer. I mean, sorry, not Gozer, but, um, Zool, uh, Zool and, um, uh, key master. Um, I just saw that coming from a mile away and I thought, I don't know. Like, Gozer being the thing again. Like, it's just, hmm. especially after when I saw the beginning, and the way um, the farmer was his name. The was farmer. The, the, was that supposed to be Egon in the beginning? 
He pat that yeah, was the that was yeah that was a hundred percent ego. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, they call him the ghost farmer or whatever, or I don't remember, but he like when he gets banished or whatever, and you see like the spirit fly away or whatever. I was like, okay, afterlife. Here we go. There's gonna be like some complex like afterlife where he's gonna like be like somehow connected to this ghost demon or whatever. And then it just ended up all being fucking Gozer. Well, no, I disagree with you there because I think that you're right on your initial impression. First, I just want to say big props to this movie for explaining the subtitle in the intro. I love it when movies and anything does that. And like as soon as Egon dies in his old rocking chair after uh, he gets fucking one shot by Gozer or... I don't, I'm not really clear on that part if it was Gozer who killed him or one of the hounds. But either way, yeah. when he dies there and then you see the the ectometer start to spring up and then it fades to black and it says Ghostbusters Afterlife, I'm like, yes, that is perfect because now you know exactly why this is called Ghostbusters Afterlife. It's about Egon Spangler's afterlife. And I would argue, and I know you're going to disagree with me on this, that the whole rest of the movie is about Egon Spangler's afterlife. Him trying to attract the family back to the farmhouse, guide them to find Ecto-1 in the secret basement with all the stuff, make them figure out the plan, make them execute the plan, and then have his like happy reunion at the end where he can go to heaven or wherever the hell he thinks he's going. Like I, I really thought that's exactly what it was. But you don't think so? Well, yeah. well, no, that's what they want it to be, but... You just don't think was... they executed it well? No, it just feels shoehorned. They're just like... I mean, it was good. It was creative. Creatively, it was it, it was cool. The way they executed, they're like, well, we can use, e-, you know, the actor that played Egon, you know's death and play it into the character's death. And, you know, we can introduce this new kid, which will, you know, is a, you know, a good character building. You know, you know they, they did it right, and... But it just feels like it was a shitty story wrapped around good nostalgia to me. Like, hmm. nothing stands on its own unless you're tying it to what you liked about the original two Ghostbusters. You know? I like, don't know, man. Seeing I the original the actors there, seeing, like, the creative use of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Minis... You know, seeing the old, uh, the old um, Ghostbuster mobile in the um, or Ecto One in um, in the car chase scene, you know, like that. All of that is because you like Ecto One. You like those actors. You like seeing the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. But it's like all of it's really just nonsense. It's not well, like seeing Ghostbusters One and Two again where you're actually like super intrigued on how the Ghostbusters storyline is going to develop, like seeing the purple ooze underneath New York and it's changing everybody. <laughs> and you're thinking that everyone's just going to kill you. That stuff was cool. You know, uh, you know, minus the broomstick flying ship. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like in this movie, you don't, you don't get it. The cinematography was great in this movie. I will say that, but you just don't get any of like the, the sense of adventure. That you do. You're just like, all right, this is a nostalgia movie with a kickstart for the new generation, you know, that you've seen so many movies now. 
That's crazy, because I, I feel the opposite of you. I feel like this movie actually had more of a sense of adventure than most movies nowadays do. It kind of gave me Goonies vibes at times. At the end, with the fucking key master and fucking... Well, okay, I'm all right, let me let me say this. It's the final the part... tropey finish of the fin- the first movie where fucking Bankman comes in, he does his little talk, you know? <laughs> I love... Okay, some, you know what? I'm going to tell you right now... You can call the fucking the final scene bad or good or whatever you want to say about it. It was good. I bad. fucking loved Bankman's dialogue in that shit. It was so good. He didn't lose any of his edge. Like if you think about like how old he is now, it was like going back in time. Like the way he didn't forget the Venkman character. He was Venkman, dude. Like if you go back and watch those Ghostbusters movies, he's playing. It's he's not playing Bill Murray. He's not, I'm just playing Groundhog's Day, Bill Murray, or every other Bill Murray. He was playing Venkman perfectly. I love this dialogue. Oh, and no, I will, he was. Yeah, <laughs> and, sure. and I will spread that to the rest of them, too, to a lesser degree. Ackroyd, his little speech, like, on behalf of the state of Oklahoma and the Wildlife <laughs> and Fish Association. He was, he was and all playing himself, bro. That was he so was, good. <laughs> he was playing Dan Ackroyd. He wasn't playing his character. And uh, another thing I loved was just Winston. Winston was playing the exact same character, too. He was, like purposefully low-key kind of just quipping in randomly these crazy white people again (laughs) and and like or i don't remember if it was venkman or akari one of them was like i don't remember ghostbusting be this fucking hard and then winston looks at him like i fucking do bitch (laughs) like like everything about that dialogue between them at the end i thought was fucking gold personally now the thing that's controversial I don't know if you want to talk about that now or save it for later, is uh, our boy Egon Spangler coming back in ghost form. Yeah, I don't really agree with digging up the dead. There's a little Moff 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 Tarkin in Rogue One going on here a little (laughs) bit, and it's, it's, it's weird. I have mixed feelings on it. On one hand, seeing him there is really cathartic for me, because Harold Ramis is one of my favorite actors, one of my favorite writers. He was my favorite Ghostbuster. When he died, it like there are a few actors that have died in my lifetime that really hit me hard. Alan Rickman was one. Harold Ramis is the other. Uh, I mean, Chris Farley was one too. There's a few of them, but like seeing him in such perfect CG. And then with like the other go, like that scene where it shows them all uh, with the rifles on uh, on Gozer, and it's like a side view, and it like pans out, and you see all three of them. Then it shows the ghost form of Spangler also there. Yeah, that was like some super Kamehameha shit. (laughs) Man, like I I know it's probably cringe or whatever the fucking gen z people want to call me or whatever for thinking this but like there it, it hit my heartstrings man that scene there was something about it that was just like wow i don't know man maybe it's one of my boomer moments but i loved that part and i know i'll bet a lot of the criticism of this movie <laughs> is probably my favorite parts of the movie and i'm i'm self-aware of that you know <laughs> i i understand that I don't, you know, I think you just have 
I think, more of a love for Ghostbusters than I do. Definitely. For I sure. I think I liked the first... I liked the first two Ghostbusters because they come from, like, that classic eight, 80, late, like, mid-80, late 80s style film, you know, where everything had kind of, like, a certain graininess to it and just felt old school. And when... Scare like pop. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The term I'm looking for, um, like pop scares or like pop up scares, whatever you call them, jump scares. Yeah. When movies did that back then, there was almost like this grimy noir like feel just for a little bit, you know, like the the way the soundtrack played back then and stuff like that. That's why I like Ghostbusters. It's like those elements. And I feel like this new one didn't have any of that. It just feels like it feels like well, a new film, you know, with with we're never getting the 80s back broadcaster that. Nichols. We're never getting that back. <laughs> that's not true. There's there's not, it's not, true. There's, <laughs> that's there's not great things. Great the 80s things will rise out. again. <laughs> Miami Vice. Still is gone, brother. Dude, I was thinking about Miami Vice the other day. Dude, that fucking show smacks. <laughs> Dude, Don Johnson was ripping in. Oh, my you know, God. When they talk about the Doom guy ripping and tearing in modern day, like, no, Don Johnson was ripping and tearing in Miami yeah. Vice, dude. <laughs> For sure. So anyways, this pivot into a Miami Vice for me. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, this Ghostbusters Afterlife movie, to me, it is to Ghostbusters what that recent Power Rangers movie was to the original Power Rangers. So do you remember the the new Power Rangers movie that had uh oh, yeah. Walter White from Breaking Bad as Zordon? Yeah. yeah so all right, so that movie, that Power Rangers movie, was not super well received. It was sort of like middling reception. When I watched it, I actually really liked it because to me, it bridged the gap between this is a movie for old people because everyone that liked Power Rangers is old now. Check. But they had just enough of kids stuff in there to get to allow a doorway for kids of today to watch it and understand it. But really, the bread and butter was the, you know, the old people that really liked Power Rangers. I really liked the way that Goldar was done in in that Power Rangers movie. Similarly to the way I liked how Gozer was done in Afterlife. And I felt some of the same vibes from Ghostbusters Afterlife in not only the art direction and the, the storytelling in the direction, but even just in like the... Like, the way that they colored the camera, you know what I mean? Like, that Power Rangers movie had very stiff camera angles, and it had very sort of offbeat uh, saturation in the color scheme of the movie. And I felt Ghostbusters Afterlife had the exact same style going for it. I mean, it's it's just well-done modern film, you know? Like, it... I think that's the main difference, though, you know, is that now it's really it's easier to make a film look good than it is to make a write a good film nowadays. And back then it was the exact opposite. Yeah. (laughs) 
But yeah. Power Rangers is unique in this in this situation because Power Rangers is the exact is the exact opposite of what I explained about Ghostbusters. Power Rangers back in the day is something I from back in the day it's not something I would want to replicate even closely in a modern day film or show. I would want to do a new take on modern or on Power Rangers. So I think that was done pretty well. I like that movie. I like yeah. they killed the Blue Ranger off. They, you know, they weren't afraid to like get dark for a little bit. No, and that it was gave good. that movie its edge. But it still had some kid stuff. You know what I mean? Like me and you are both. I mean, Zordon was a now. dick. Like, yeah. like the way they like went through him being the original Red Power Ranger. You know, and like sacrificing his team and fucking up and all that. Yeah. shit. you're like, damn, dude, this is dark. Oh hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I think one of the problems that we both have with modern movies that are sort of rebooting shit from our childhoods is that they make these things for kids today rather than the adults who liked it back in the day that actually want to see this. Yeah. And I I thought that Ghostbusters Afterlife really maybe didn't hit the balance as perfect as Power Rangers did, but close, I thought. Because if you really yeah. think about it, all of the kid stuff was very truncated. They didn't dwell on it too much. Like, think about it like this. You saw a uh, Stranger Things boy at his job, like, what, once in the entire movie? You saw Phoebe at summer school once in the entire movie, right? Like, they didn't, they didn't dwell on the minutia of the kid stuff. They just showed it once. We're done with it. Show it once. We're done with it. And what they dwelled on was sort of like the mythos of what's happening behind the scenes, which I liked. For sure. I mean, it's just. I feel like it's just a softball pitch to set up the next movie with the kids, which are more important. I kind of agree with that, too. <laughs> and it, that's all it was. They're like, hey, look over here while we build this up and you don't get as mad as if we just made the, the, the next movie purely kids, you know? And with, you know, with the Power Rangers comparison, it was the exact opposite, in my opinion. They, they were like, well, the audience we're going to bring to a modern-day Power Rangers movie that we would want to take remotely serious would be just the kids that watched that shit back then, because no new kids want to watch Power Rangers of any kind. They don't exactly. know what it is. They don't want to know it. So it's like that's their road they go down. That's it's the what's same with Ghostbusters. Money. But with Ghostbusters, no kids today know Ghostbusters they, is eh, not so much. I mean, they did the 2016 all oh, female God. Ghostbusters, <laughs> and then it became a social media fucking fiasco. Oh, so that's people, a solid point. People, Interesting. People know what Ghostbusters is now, and they almost like it for the wrong reasons. You know, Ooh. so it's like. It's you know <laughs> where's I don't Thor know. at? <laughs> no one wants fucking to actually. I don't know. It feels like this Ghostbuster movie was just trying to get the money from the real fans to keep it afloat and maintain the IP and kind of hoodwink everybody with the setup of the next generation, which is the super diverse cast. <laughs> I don't know. It just. Hmm. Uh, I, I I can't doubt the next movie is going to have Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and who plays Winston? What's his name? Uh, Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson. And by the I way, mean, I just, uh, just interrupt you real quick. Fun fact, the real Ghostbusters animated cartoon that we've talked about in our uh, intro segment in this very episode 
The real Ghostbusters were not played by any of the original cast except for Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson really? voice acted Winston in the real Ghostbusters. Wow. Yeah, man. <laughs> He's like, I'll take that money. Fuck it. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why I look at Ernie Hudson, like, even though he's not my favorite Ghostbuster, I look at him in a sort of different light because, like, he's been involved in, like, this meta way in, in both universes of the Ghostbusters. He's, like, this connecting chain. Hmm. Well, did, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, who played Egon? Harold Ramis. No. Harold, did he write the cartoon? No, no one who was involved with the movie was involved with the cartoon except for Ernie Hudson. <laughs> really? Yep, wow. He was the only one. I wonder if there's some contention there. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think what happened is Ernie Hudson didn't make as much movie off the movie as the other actors did. And they offered him the cartoon and he's just like, fuck it. I'm getting my money. I think that's what happened. <laughs> but either way, it's just, it's this really cool little connecting chain between the movie universe and the cartoon universe. But uh, it's kind of weird. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. Go on. <laughs> I, was, I mean, you know. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to give a little shout out to uh, to our boy podcast. I thought he was my favorite kid in the movie. <laughs> he, <laughs> maybe I'm biased because we're also podcasters, but that kid was fucking hilarious. Every scene he was in, I laughed. He was funny as fuck. I like him. <laughs> He was pretty good. <laughs> and I really like the final scene with uh, Dan Aykroyd in him, where Dan Aykroyd just walks in like, congratulations, son, you just single-handedly stomped a Class 7 exotic entity that was about to destroy all life in the universe. And he's like, cool, bro, can you be on my podcast? <laughs> ah, I loved that so much. That was so good. <laughs> Oh, that was great! Such a, it's such a meta level comment. He's just like some fucking Gen Zer. Yeah, cool boomer. So, would you be on my our famous boomer? Would you be on my podcast? <laughs> yeah, that that kid was cool. Uh, it, it, yeah, strange. It's funny. Stranger Things boy was the worst kid in the movie. I opinion. think he tainted my initial take on the movie. I wouldn't Seeing be surprised because he sucked. I was just like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> the only thing he was good at was being unlikable. He, like, he was good at being unlikable. <laughs> he's like, he's like the, I don't really want to say this because I don't, that's terrible to say, but oh. like the kid that played, uh, um, oh boy. Oh God, fuck. What's his name? Uh, God dang it! I forgot his name in Dune. Timothy Calamon. Was it who he plays the main? What he plays the main character in Dune? Fuck! What's his name? Uh, uh, Oh wait, Timothy Chalate is what you're talking about. Shala Shalamon or Shalamon. There we go. (laughs) He plays Paul Atreides. Yeah. um, I just sometimes I look at the Stranger Things kid. I'm just like, God, you're like the test, the failed test two version of that kid. Like, oh man, that's a good call. He is. <laughs> I look at both of them. I'm like, there's the good version. There's the bad version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like two dudes did like the fusion dance, and he's the bad version of the fusion dance. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> You're just lumpy, kid. You kind of. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, the lump disappoints me in this movie. <laughs> he he was not good at all. Uh, what did you think about uh, the mom and the well, not the dad, uh, the mom and the summer teacher, Paul Rudd? The key master and the gatekeeper. Well, what did you think about I that? definitely was a fan of the mom. <laughs> yeah. Mom is okay in my book. Yeah, I like her. She's uh, she's in a lot of stuff that I like. Uh, she was in Paul Fargo. Rudd. She was in The Leftovers. Uh, I think she was in something else, too, that I can't think of right now. But I, everything I've liked her... Oh, yeah, The Sinner. She was in The Sinner with... Uh, oh, God. Uh... Lone Star from Spaceballs. Okay. S- spacing Bill out on Pullman? his name. Yeah, Bill, Bill Pullman. Pullman. There we go. She was she was in season three of The Sinner oh, with dude. Bill Pullman. I forgot. Isn't that where he's like a piece of shit detective? Yeah, man. That's a great that's a great <laughs> under the that. radar <laughs> television show that you should watch. Like it's it's not the best thing you've ever seen in your life, but it's what you need, if that makes any sense. It's not what you want, it's what you need. Yeah. It's <laughs> a lot of television, isn't it? No, actually the center each season's only like 8 episodes. It's a short show and there's only the 4th season just came out. So there are 4 8 to 10 episode seasons. So it's not it's nothing crazy. Is it over already? The 4th season just finished like a month ago. Is it's it ongoing. The There's a fifth season oh, coming. Okay. It's okay. it's all based off of a book series. Oh, jeez. Well, that's How part of the reason why it's good, Broadcaster Nichols. Most stuff that's good on television is because it's based on a book. Yeah, but usually we all know how that goes. Well, <laughs> yeah. They don't Too finish soon. the last book, and then things get taken into other hands. George R. R. Martin starts making Bloodborne sequels. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it goes. <laughs> Fucking guy, dude. Uh, I'll one negative thing I'll say about Ghostbusters Afterlife. There are a few things that I didn't love about the movie, but one of the things I hated the most is the entire Walmart paid advertisement that was fourth wall breaking in the worst way it ruined the stay puff scene it it ruined the stay puff scene it kind of tainted the movie in general i want to say a little bit not fully but like it would have been really cool if it would have been like Winston's. Like that would have been his business he owned was like yes. a chain of supermarkets and it was Winston's store. Like Winston's, <laughs> it's a big yeah. W like Walmart, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and that's where like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm as capitalist as it gets and I'm no commie, but like there's a few, there are a few rare situations where capitalism does get in the way of art. And I think this is one of those instances. Like Walmart should have had nothing to do with this. You just had a great idea. Call it Winston's would have been great. It was just like this really, really, really blatant live read style paid advertisement within a movie that just totally breaks the fourth wall and just like the worst way. Though I think the worst part about it is, is that a it's Walmart. B the actor that's in the scene is Paul Rudd, Mm -hmm. which is 
like this huge actor that's been in huge commercials and stuff like that, which makes it feel even more commercially. Yep. And then on top of that, it was a Super Bowl ad. Yep. It was a commercial. It was. With Paul Rudd in it. Yep. <laughs> and, and it's just like, God. Wow, one of the coolest scenes is just turned into like literally like mummified into an ad. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, the actual part of the scene with the marshmallow, mini marshmallow men, yeah, I loved adorable. that. I loved it when they were like trying to murder each other and cook each other into s'mores and yeah. shit. That was all Dude, awesome. They're like the new, they're like the new minions. Like yeah. mini Stay Puffs are yeah. like the new thing. They're yeah. And, hot and speaking of uh, <laughs> my daughter. I watched this movie with my daughter, my four-year-old daughter, and she fucking loved the Marshmallow Men scene. Like, she was flipping out at that shit. So I'm pretty sure that that whole shebang was designed to attract some some uh, impressionable youngsters. Oh, for sure. No doubt. They're this might be a Baby Yoda that... situation. Yeah, they're going to go... They're just going to grow up, like remembering those scenes from their super super young years and they're gonna get up to like five and six and those movies are gonna be laying around the house you know and then you're gonna like those are the movies you grow up watching and you remember Mm -hmm. you know yep so it's definitely one of those movies for kids no doubt about it just like predator was for me you know so (laughs) we had a different pedigree (laughs) bunch of slack jawed (laughs) (laughs) jesse the body ventura Uh, has taken a knee he has fallen (laughs) it's a different time uh so uh yeah what, what what do you think about the overall um sort of arc between paul rudd and uh what's her name i think her last name's coon carrie coon the mom and the dad like i think a lot of people are probably gonna make that the part of the movie they hate the most like that's probably the part people meme on it's like oh. Bankman and uh sigourney weaver romance gatekeeper slash zool thing well if we're being real real about it uh <laughs> it's not quite Venkman, is it no who was the key master in the original ghostbusters <laughs> oh yeah i forgot it's dude <laughs> yep i totally forgot they dude they're missing our man moranis dude yeah Why did man. moranis come back so yeah exactly so so really Paul Rudd is not playing Vankman. He's playing Rick Moranis. <laughs> and that would have been really funny if they actually like wrote that into the script. It's like a new, it's like two spirit Moranis is like the, young, the younger, yes. more attractive version of him. <laughs> yeah. And I want to say too, is I don't think Paul Rudd tried to channel Rick Moranis at all in most of his performance. However, at the very, very end, when they defeat uh, uh, Gozer and they crack him out of the shell of the fucking dog beast, right? He does a Rick Moranis impression in that scene. Did you notice that? How about his, Mor- his mannerisms? Yeah, he's like... Like she, you know, Carrie Coon's like digging him out of the the dog armor shale, and she's like, "Are you all right?" And he's just like, "Uh, yeah, you know, uh, 
you know, my feet hurt from, you know, traveling around and, you know, dashing in the streets. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm okay. Like, that was a total Rick Moranis impression that he was doing there. I didn't really pick up on that. <laughs> he didn't do that in the rest of the movie. Like, he totally changed his performance in that one scene to match Rick Moranis from the original Ghostbusters, I noticed. But overall, what do you think about that relationship, that part of the movie? Did you like it, dislike it? I mean, I tapped that, no doubt. <laughs> oh, uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, it was all right. It was all right. Part of the movie. <laughs> I don't know. It's... People are going to meme on Paul Rudd in this movie. Well, they should. He's kind of <laughs> like a cookie cut actor at this point. He's like, well, they should. He just, he just plays. He, I think he's like the final culmination of like those actors that play themselves. Like he's the final boss version, you know, hmm. he's just like the ultimate version of that type of actor where he comes into a movie and it's like, it's Paul Rudd. <laughs> it's Paul in, Rudd. It, it, you know, <laughs> I, I I don't want to say he's not he's not a bad actor because he's actually a really good actor, but yeah, I don't even think he was really. I didn't mind him at all in the movie, to be honest. He was I'm okay. Just trying, I'm just trying to make fun of him. He wasn't really a big point of contention with me. Yeah, I think mainly was just the feelings he brought on like more of a big Hollywood commercial sense. You know, where I was yeah. talking earlier that Ghostbusters was supposed to feel like you know, almost indie in a way. Like, it's not, like, not totally indie, but it's, like, just four dudes ghost-busting, you know? We're just four dudes ghost-busting. It's it's not supposed to be this crazy, groundbreaking, like, everyone's gonna love it movie, you know? Like, it's four dudes catching goats, all right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, so I, I feel like Paul Rudd and his and his entity is runs counter to that when he's in movies. He just brings a lot of big Hollywood weight and and name in himself. Yeah, but the relationship, like him and the mom, I I don't know. I thought it was well written. I thought it was cool how they kind of like paralleled Vankman and Sigourney Weaver's character. I forget her name, but uh, Dana Barrett. Dana Barrett. So that I mean that was cool. I I liked. The way it was tasteful connections. There was tasteful connections. It was tasteful. <laughs> what did you think it, about the scene where he took the 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 ghost trap that they brought to school that they thought was like a replica and he realized it was real? And then they like went into like the bus graveyard and like lit it off. And he's like, We need to go now. And they're like, You're an adult. He's like, and I'm liable. <laughs> he just runs. <laughs> I loved that scene. <laughs> it's real coming of age knowledge kids remember yeah, that <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's what we call ancestral knowledge <laughs> the cops are coming <laughs> so uh, uh did you ever play uh ghostbusters the video game it came out yeah. i want to say in like 2012 it's kind of old. It's almost a decade old. But supposedly the Ghostbusters video game was the exact script for the Ghostbusters 3 movie that was never made. What? Yeah. Supposedly. I don't know if that's true or not, but that is what I was told is that the Ghostbusters video game that came out in probably like 2012, 2011, 2013 in that neighborhood 
is a video game based off of the script for Ghostbusters 3. In that, that, wait a minute, that's the one that came out on the PS3. Or yes, whatever, it right? is. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So Fuck, that's the one with the giant Stay Puff Marshmallow Man battle where you're burning him on the building. Yeah, I remember that. You played that? Yeah, I played a little bit of it. So apparently Evo Shandor, who is like the cult leader from this movie, who's like buried in that mausoleum to the fucking Gozer at the bottom of the mine shaft, who's played by the Allstate guy. (laughs) Another fourth wall breaking thing that they really should have fixed. Like, that's not good. You should recast that. (laughs) Either, Either way, Evo Shandor apparently is the main villain from that Ghostbusters video game. Really? So if you take that logic and you accept it, that means that Ghostbusters Afterlife is actually Ghostbusters 4. It's a sequel to the video game that was supposed to be Ghostbusters 3, which I find interesting, if true. That is interesting. Because they really made sure to really ingrain Evo Shandor into the storyline. Like, it wasn't just, like, some one-off, like, you see him in a coffin and he looks at you and scares you and that's it. Like, they talk about him a lot. They're like, they talk about how he is the one who built the Manhattan Tower from the original movie. They talk about how he built this town by himself, how every building's named out. Like, they went out of their way to establish him as, like, this sort of fabric layer character in the the Ghostbusters universe. It's never really been there besides that video game. Exactly. I wish I really wish I played that video game now before I watched this movie. Honestly, after I found that out, actually, it probably hasn't aged that bad because it's I remember it's it's not it wasn't a game that was trying to be super photorealistic. It was just trying to be a game that looked really good. I wonder if it's on Steam. And it was kind of cartoony, but kind of high budget cartoony and the colors were really nice. I remember for the day, like they like all the neon colors for like the plasma or the, the, uh, um, was it the plasma gun? What do they call it? Uh, uh, the backpack gun. When they call that fucking thing. Oh God, I'm blanking on that. What do they call it? Uh, anyways, the, the beams that come out of that, like they're super bright and neonish and cool looking. I wonder if they do, if they did an HD remaster that it'd probably be pretty tight. Hmm. Maybe this movie will reignite interest in something like that. I kind of want to check it out now because you just reminded me of it. I totally forgot that game existed because I didn't own it. I just played like a little bit of it at a game store or like some, one of my friends had it. I forgot what a, how I played it, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they've ever actually named that gun before. Like I'm trying to think. I, just, I don't remember them ever calling the gun anything. Yeah, there's the Trapper, the Ecto-1, fucking... Well, they named the backpack. They called the backpack the Proton Pack, but they never called the gun anything. They just... Oh, the Proton Gun, probably. Though. Well, they don't call it that, though. They've never called it that. Like, I've never heard a Proton Gun before. That I just don't think they've ever named it. I really don't think they have, honestly. Now I'm really racking my brain. Maybe. Yeah, they already re- they did remaster it. They remastered it last year. Oh, is it on Steam? Yeah. Oh, that's on my that's the top of my list now. <laughs> 25 bucks. Hell yeah. Yeah, well, broadcaster Nichols. Any other parting shots, 
before we get to our official ranking of this title. Bring back Vigo. <laughs> Bring back Rick Moranis. We need you. Get fucking dude. I'm telling you right now, go get Mel, make him a sandwich, make go bring him to your best sandwich shop. Okay. Get him up and then go tell him to get his ass moving on space balls too. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, if they do make another ghostbusters, come back, please, <laughs> please, man, I miss you. We need you mm. more than ever. <laughs> would it, would you find it interesting to know that, uh, IMDb ranks Ghostbusters Afterlife as the second best Ghostbusters movie. They rank it higher than the Ghostbusters female reboot, which I find absolutely true. And they also rank it higher than Ghostbusters 2 with your boy Vigo, which I I put that in the debatable territory, but I, I don't scoff at it, but I think it's an argument. What do you think? Listen, dude, I think all quadroons have their own opinions. <laughs> I have to respect them. Okay, that's just how it is. Not everyone's going to, you know, take a shit in the same toilet. <laughs> just the way it is. All right, Broadcaster Nichols. As you know, here on the Crack Seller Podcast, we have an official patented Ghostbusters rating system that uh, was just invented yesterday. On that system, Broadcaster Nichols, what do you rate Ghostbusters Afterlife? I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a, I'm gonna give it a B. Gonna give, give it a, a gozer. gozer. Hey, that's because you know, that's topical. It's repetitive, <laughs> like gozer <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> I'm afraid the movie just I don't know what I want anymore. I feel like I'm just so jaded yeah. to new IPs being taken in a completely different angle than I want them to in this modern day that I just, I can't even, when I, when I see even remotely good versions of it being done, I, I, I'm, I can't perceive them. I just, I mean, it's impossible for me to see at this point. <laughs> I'm just like, God, it's happening again. It's over. <laughs> Sometimes I think that's what's happening, but at the same time, I don't know. I, I have more insight than ever. Mm. I have more eyes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. That's that's why like when I watch The Matrix Resurrections, when I watch Ghostbusters Afterlife, these types of movies that are sequels to movies that are from 20 to 30 years ago that were pivotal to my childhood that are now like you you go into them sort of defensively by yeah. default and I at times I'm not sure like Matrix Resurrections is a great example. I'm not sure if the hate that we feel for that movie is warranted, but at the, on the other end, I'm like, I'm not sure that it isn't either. It's, it's a weird sort of like, 
we were alive at this time. These were pivotal movies to us. We kind of have a chip on our shoulder about them. We have higher expectations than just like some random person. But then on the other hand, when you go look at the other reviews out there, you will find no shortage of screaming fanboys who think that Matrix Resurrections is the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> so it's like, I, I I kind of juggle with that a little bit. Like, am I so just some jaded box. old man? Am I fucking Clint Eastwood on that stage with that empty chair yelling at it saying, you ruined, you ruined our medical system, Obama. Like, am I that guy? I don't know. Yeah, anymore. you're definitely Clint Eastwood doing the finger gun at the Mexican kids walking down. <laughs> I still think that the scene in Gran Torino. Dude, Gran Torino, by the way, anybody hasn't seen that movie, go watch it. Phenomenal. It's a classic. But, but dude, when... He's spitting on his porch. <laughs> he spin the chewing tobacco and then fucking the lady from the Korean family comes out, sits on the porch, and he just sees her and he just makes that face and she just hawks out this nasty giant ball of tobacco, just this fucking big old slime ball, and he's and he's just like <laughs> just like he got shook, dude. This is like, dude, Dragon Lady just fucking outspat you, dude. You fucking, you got intimidated, bro. <laughs> I love that scene so much. That's kind of like the Casablanca of our generation. <laughs> Gran Torino is just like one of those movies. Hard to describe how pivotal it is. It was the first movie that made me like, it's like, man, being old is going to be cool. Everyone's going <laughs> to let you just get away with anything. I can't wait till I'm old. <laughs> you can just fucking put kids up against the fence and threaten them to death. And they'll be like, oh, that's just him. being. <laughs> He's just an old man. <laughs> Good time. Great uh, yes. old Well, broadcaster, I'm going to give it a stay puffed, a melty Walmart brand Stay Puft, but a Stay Puft nonetheless. I didn't have the same problems you had with the movie. I definitely didn't think it was perfect. Not even close. Still willing to set it on fire. It's one of those movies where it's like, I I sort of understand that my bias is what's making me give it an A. And like, if I was totally unbiased, I'd probably be giving it a B or maybe even a C, but there's just too much of that movie that I really enjoyed. And it's not just one scene or one part. I loved almost all of the movie. There were just a few parts where, and we talked about the Walmart scene. That's one of the big ones, but there's just a few parts where it's just like, eh, no, and the, the entire, like the entire role of uh, stranger things boy was part of that as well. But I think if you really boil down the movie to what it what it is at its core, I really liked it. And I think the thing I really, really feel about this movie is that it did the opposite of what Matrix 4 did. Where both of these movies are meta and self-referential. Matrix 4 went the route of making fun of 
of its fan base, making fun of its own characters and its own story. Ghostbusters Afterlife did the exact opposite. It was so reverential to its own storyline, to its actors, and to its fan base in the in almost the complete opposite way. And something can be said for both. I actually enjoyed parts of Matrix 4. But I think that Matrix 4 was an insulting movie to the fan base where I think Ghostbusters Afterlife, maybe it's not perfect, maybe it had some missteps, but it tried to be loyal to the fan base. It respected the fan base in ways maybe the fan base doesn't deserve, honestly. Like, the way that they talk about the the characters, like the way that they talk about the, the Manhattan ghost stories, quote-unquote, the way that they treat the source material, just it feels much more reverential. And that, I think, gave it a soft spot in my heart. And with that, we'll close out. Allred's a Scientologist. <laughs> Xenu versus Gozer. Mortal dude. Kombat 12. Fuck, bro. <laughs> now that's a story, dude. Man, if Hollywood was a bunch of pussies <laughs> and they were re- really willing to drive <laughs> home great stories, dude, we would get like. Kong, Godzilla versus Kong, we'd be getting fucking Xenu versus Gozer right now. Yeah. Because that would be lit as fuck. Yeah. yeah. Imagine Gozer just doing a people's elbow into like the spirit <laughs> yeah. volcano. And then Xenu's just like, no. Yeah. And then it pans to the uh, the commentators and it's Matt and Trey from South Park. <laughs>